for all of our guests this morning. We just want to thank you so much for coming and worshiping us with us this morning. We are glad and grateful that you are here. If this is your first or one of your first times with us and you've yet to fill out a Connect card, I would encourage you to stop by our info table over there to my left, your right. We have these Connect cards. That just allows us to reach out to find out the best ways to help get you connected to the life of our church. But just know that we do thank we do thank God that you are here with us this morning and hope that you are encouraged. Thank you, Joshua. Much appreciated. Thank you for leading us in prayer for our state. Well, good morning, friends. If you have a Bible or Bible app on your electronic device, please turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As you're turning there, I want to say thank you for praying for our elders and wives retreat that occurred this week. We had a great time caring for each other, encouraging each other, experiencing fellowship together, and, and strengthening our relationships together. We so appreciate your prayers. I believe God was answering your prayers and, and pouring out grace upon us in many ways. So I want to say thank you for that. Today we are beginning a a three-part mini-series that we're calling Lessons from a Pandemic. Lessons from a Pandemic. Because this has been a, a life-altering, really world-affecting year and a half. And I realize the pandemic continues, as Joshua mentioned, and I am not seeking to minimize this seriousness at all, but there are there are lessons for us to learn. As elders, as your pastors, we felt it important to at least highlight a few ways our souls should benefit as we interpret this time and think about it in light of God's word. I want to say, though, that the, the lessons that we highlight in this brief series they may not be the lessons that you think are most important to learn. And I, I get that. I'm not going to touch on the role of government or the place of individual freedoms. I'm not going to mention God's common grace through medicine and hospitals, etc. Lessons may be derived for each of those areas. But we're not going to talk about all those things. In this brief series, only three sermons, Gonna, we're going to think about three ways in which our spiritual lives and our life together might be strengthened as we interpret it in light of God's holy word. So I've entitled today's pandemic lesson as Sickness, Sorrow, and Unseen Glory. Sickness, Sorrow, and unseen glory. Now, I acknowledge we had one more vision in the book of Daniel that we didn't get to. And so what I want to do is read part of Daniel 12 to ease my conscience and encourage my friends who want to hear that passage <laughs> preached from. Because actually, I think Daniel 12 connects very nicely with what Mindy's about to read from 2 Corinthians 4. So Listen to Daniel 12, 1 through 3, and then Mindy's going to read our text for today. In Daniel 12, we find the following. 
at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now please listen to our passage for this morning. Good morning. This is from 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Mindy. Holy Spirit, please do open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, to see, behold, and be transformed by wonderful things in your word. Minister to us and help us, we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen. Over four million people worldwide have now died in this pandemic. Over four million. That may include someone that you know or knew personally. And if so, I'm very sorry. I think of Jerry and Robbie Zeller's friend, a pastor about my age who died of COVID, leaving behind a wife and two young children. I know Rick Padelford had a friend who worked in one of the hospitals who died. There may be many, many others that you know personally. Thankfully, thankfully many recover from COVID, but some, some have not. The COVID long haulers, they're called. Quote, Kelly, Marcellant of Denver was an avid, an avid outdoorsman before coronavirus, now struggles with simple tasks like a four-way stop sign. He told NBC News, I sat there looking at the intersection, intersection wondering what do I do? Four-way stop sign, didn't know what to do. He's one of those COVID long haulers. Many are suffering, many have died. A pandemic should cause us to ask, how should I deal with suffering? How should I process suffering? How do you deal with suffering? Do you try to ignore it? The stiff upper lip approach? <laughs> Don't tell anyone you're hurting. Do you, do you essentially become bitter toward God? Angry at God or unbelieving in ways? 
Or do you simply seek to cope as best you can, seeking ways to numb yourself from the pain? Listen, a pandemic reminds us of the need to be equipped for suffering theologically, to be prepared for suffering. And this passage can equip us and prepare us. The Apostle Paul outlines his own sufferings here and then says in verse 16, So we do not lose heart. We do not despair. There was a lesson he had learned about suffering such that he did not lose heart but was sustained at heart and did not despair. Friends, here we find God's pathway for sustaining our hearts through suffering. I think you could describe that pathway as having three R's. A reality, a reason, and a response. That's what I want to see with you this morning. A reality, a reason, and a response you and I are to make. First, the reality. The reality I would describe as renewal despite decay. Renewal despite decay. It seems the Christians here in Corinth are misunderstanding the Apostle Paul's sufferings in ways. Perhaps some are saying the covenant through Moses, the relationship with God that came through Moses came with glory. Moses' face was shining. He had to put a veil on. But Paul, you come with this new covenant and you suffer. You have pain. You have hardship. There's no glory with you. Something doesn't make sense, Paul. So the apostle is defending his ministry, including what he says back in verse 8. Look at verse 8 of Chapter 4, he says, we are afflicted in every way. I acknowledge it. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Notice, always, always carrying in the body the, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies, our mortal flesh. It's those experiences he describes in verses 8 through 10 that he seems to be picking up on in verse 16 when he says, though our outer self is wasting away. Our outer self, he says, it, it was afflicted. It's been perplexed. It's been persecuted. You know what? It's been struck down. And all that's taken a physical toll. He's saying, my physical self is wasting away. It's, it's withering. Now, he's not saying that the physical body is bad. God made our physical bodies. God will redeem our physical bodies. But in this current age, in this fallen world, our outer self is wasting away. Can we not relate to that? In a few weeks, I will turn 54 years old. My body is changing. My digestion started to change when I was in my 30s. My teeth started to change in my 40s, and dental hygiene became more important. In my 50s, everything's changing. <laughs> I, I get out of bed in the morning, and travel down the hallway in what can only be described as a shuffle. 
And that doesn't begin to compare with the experience of some of you and the hardship of the aging process. In fact, we were praying this morning and we included prayer for our senior saints here whom we love and we thank God for as you provide an example for us walking a bit ahead of us in the aging process. Thank you. We can relate to the outer self wasting away, but, but I need this reminder, don't you? One writer put it well, saying, quote, Suffering catches me unaware. I throw up my hands and say, Something is not right here. This is not how it's supposed to be. We tend to be surprised by suffering, and then what happens? We lose heart. Is that you this morning? Losing heart because of a trial or a difficulty? There's a recent elders and wives meeting we had where they kindly took a large portion of the meeting to care for me because I was losing heart over some minor physical ailment. Look, in the midst of any trial or any difficulty, here's the temptation. Losing heart as our outer self is wasting away. And so we need the reality of the rest of verse 16. Look back at verse 16. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. There's the reality. He's saying our soul, that, that spiritual part of him, is being renewed on a daily basis. And notice, both the wasting away and the being renewed are in the present tense. That means both are happening for the Christian right now. Inevitable decay, inevitable decay is happening in your body, yes. But if you are a follower of Jesus, spiritual renewal is also happening. Are you aware of that? And what's more... Being renewed here is passive. That means you ain't doing it. That means God is doing it to you. So every day, God is renewing your inner person until one day you are utterly transformed. You see, every day he is renewing you with the reality found in verse 11. Look at verse 11. We who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that, notice, so that the life of Jesus, the life of the risen Jesus, also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. There's the renewal. He's renewing you with the hope of verse 14. Look at verse 14. Knowing, knowing that he who raised, raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So spiritual renewal is happening in you, Christian, because God is causing the transforming effect of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be at work within you. Aren't you glad? Christ is raised and you are being transformed. It's what one writer calls the splendid compensation. I like that. Outer self wasting away, but oh, there is some splendid compensation here. Daily renewal, because Jesus is raised from the dead. So here's where application begins for me and you. Believe this reality. Renewal is happening and will one day be perfected.
within you. But how, how does that reality help us not lose heart? Well, secondly, see with me the reason. Secondly, the reason. The reason is this. Glory from affliction. Glory from affliction. Verse 17. Notice the beginning word in your text. For, or here's the reason. For, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, now make sure you expand the application of affliction here to not simply challenges with your health. Think of what the apostle or the, the writer, biblical writer James addresses, trials of various kinds. Keep that in mind of afflictions of various kinds now. Could be financial, could be at work, could be relational with your parents or your kids or your spouse or your friend, and certainly with your health. But in saying that affliction is light and momentary, the apostle is not saying that it barely registers on the Richter scale of suffering. Please, please don't approach anyone in suffering and immediately say to them, you know, God says this is light. Now, you might get there. If you unpack all the theology of resurrection in this entire chapter, and that person is even ready to hear all the theology of resurrection in this chapter, you might get there, but don't start there. And don't go there quickly. Look, we have, we have heroes among us who are persevering through suffering with faith toward God. Debbie, and Jeff, and Matthew, and many others. So God is not minimizing our suffering when you read light and momentary. In fact, in fact, in chapter 11 of this letter, the apostle details his own suffering. He describes in chapter 11, imprisonments. Countless beatings. I I've lost track of the beatings. An attempted execution by stoning. Three times shipwrecked. That had to be fun. Danger from rivers, robbers, my own people from the Gentiles. He goes on. Toil and hardship. Many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst. Often without food. I can't relate to that. Often without food. In cold and exposure to the elements. And then he says, and... Apart from the other things, there is the daily, daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. This guy knew affliction by experience, physical, mental, emotional experience of affliction. Yet, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he says in verse 17, those afflictions are, quote, light and momentary because they are Preparing for us, ESV says. Achieving for us, New International Version. 
producing for us new American standard, an eternal weight of glory. Now, you should ask, how are my afflictions producing glory? That's, I think this is the best answer. It's because if you are a Christian, you're on a pathway Jesus blazed. You are following Christ on the pathway Jesus blazed. And that pathway is leading through suffering unto glory. That's the pathway of following Christ. It's even clearer in Romans 8, 17, where it says we are, quote, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's the pathway of discipleship. Following Christ through suffering achieves, produces, leads to glory. It's kind of, kind of like this. At least here's the analogy that came to mind. It's like being here in East County on a hot day. It's starting to warm up now, isn't it? And deciding that you want to get to the beach for some relief from the heat. And so you pack up all your beach stuff in the car. And you start driving down Interstate 8. Let's say you're going to go to Mission Beach. You're driving down the 8. And you get there and it's cooler. You could say this trip and maybe that freeway, that pathway achieved or produces, produced or led to relief from the heat. The destination was the beach, relief from the heat. In the same way, the road you're traveling on through suffering leads to this destination, eternal weight of glory. So this affliction now is heading somewhere, glory, a, a weight, a weight of glory. The, the apostle seems to be pulling on the, the Hebrew background for the Hebrew word glory as something weighty or, or heavy, but he provides to us this mental picture of weighing things out, maybe of a scale, and weighing which is heavier, current affliction on one side, eternal weight of glory on the other. And then he's saying, by comparison, then we see these afflictions as light and momentary. Are you tracking with me? It means you must, friends, you must carry around with you a kind of mental scale all right, I, want, I want you to leave today with, a, with a, a mental scale. Maybe you use this kind of scale in high school. If you haven't gone to high school yet, it's kind of like this. It's, it's got two pans. It's got a balance pan on either side. And as I recall, it's been a long time for me, you're trying to weigh out things in comparison to each other. 
So live with that kind of scale in your mind. You hit an affliction, you hit a trial, you hit a difficulty, you put that affliction on the scale. It's real. You put it on the scale, but then on the other side, you produce what that affliction is producing, achieving, leading to, the destination, an eternal weight of glory, and then you weigh them out. And you say, in comparison, this actually is light and momentary. That's the connection with the end of Daniel. God has been in Daniel encouraging his exiled people with his promise. Going to bring you back to the promised land, 70 years, he says. But then God says, in effect, in chapter 12, you know what? There's a greater promised land to look forward to. Daniel 12 again. Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, shall be raised, some to everlasting life. And those who are raised to life, it says, shall shine, shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. They shall shine like the stars, Daniel said, forever and ever. And I, I think the reformer Martin Luther was thinking about that verse in a time of great affliction. In September 1542, his daughter Magdalena lay dying. And Luther said to her, Magdalena, my dear little daughter, would you like to stay here with your father? Or would you willingly go to your father yonder, your heavenly father? She answered, darling father, as God wills. And soon after she died, in Luther's arms. As they laid her in the coffin, Luther said, Darling Lena, you will rise and shine like a star. Yes, like the sun, just like Daniel said. You will, you will shine. Now that's unimaginable grief and pain. I can't imagine what that's like. But then Luther said, I am happy in spirit. The parting grieves me beyond measure. I have sent a saint to heaven. You hear what he's doing? He wasn't denying the pain. He wasn't ignoring the grief, not for a moment, but he was using that scale, wasn't he? He was weighing it out. Real, real grief on one side, but real glory on the other. You're going to rise and shine like the sun. It's possible, friends, this is the pandemic lesson, it's possible to weigh these things out. And so we need to see the response. Thirdly, having seen the reality and the reason, the response, I would call it seeing the unseen. Seeing the unseen. Verse 18, as, as we look, or you could translate that, while we look, 
or because. Because we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Why, Paul? For the things that are seen are transient. They're passing. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Here's what we must do in response. Look not to what is seen, but what is currently unseen, but real, eternal heavenly realities to come, glory to come. And this idea of looking, looking, it's the idea of focus. It's the idea of concentrated attention. It's the idea of a mark to which you're aiming. So this is about, friends, eternal realities as your primary focus, a consistent focus. It's about heavenly realities occupying concentrated attention for you. This is about glory to come as the mark to which you're aiming. This is the lesson from this passage and this pandemic. Live life with that response. You see, too often, too often we live like what Mark Dever calls secular Sam. Or if you're a lady here, insert secular Sally. <laughs> Dever writes, allow me to introduce to you secular Sam. Secular Sam is very successful. He has a good job, a nice girlfriend, a beautiful apartment, a new car, and excellent health. He is humorous, intelligent, and personable. Secular Sam is also a Christian. Note that, please. Secular Sam is also a Christian, quite an active one. He is theologically conservative and believes in the authority of Scripture. Sam knows that all of life is under the scrutiny of God's Word, not just his religion, but also business, philosophy, ethics, economics, and law. What is it, then, that makes secular Sam so secular? Sec Sam is secular because he expects to wake up in his bed tomorrow morning. Sam is secular because he expects to wake up in his bed tomorrow morning. Sam's hopes and concerns, even about his own spiritual life, are all contained in this age and this life. Sam assumes that tomorrow will be just like today. Now that's not just secular Sam. That's secular tab also. All too often. All too often. Expecting to wake up in my beloved bed tomorrow morning. All my hopes and concerns, even for my own spiritual life, it would seem contained in this life, about this life. Living with the assumption that, you know what, tomorrow is going to be just like today. Now, if you are secular Sam or Sally because you've yet to turn to Christ, first, please turn to him. Turn from going your own way and trust in, rely on his life, death, and resurrection to bring you to God, taking away your sins, reconciling you to God himself, and he will. So if you're secular Sam or Sally because you've yet to, you've yet to come to Christ, oh, friend, come to Christ, believe me. But Dever is addressing Christian secular Sam and Christian secular Sally. You might be a teenager, and I just described you as well. 
college-age adult, young professional, or middle-aged man like me. Your hopes, your concerns are contained in this life only. You live assuming tomorrow will be just like today. And friend, you need the response of verse 18 because you're not prepared for suffering. This was driven home to me early in the pandemic. Must have been close to a year and a half ago. I, I read a New York Times article, and the writer described the, the horrific ordeal her husband was going through as he battled COVID on the edge of hospitalization for weeks, and her own ordeal trying to care for him and not get infected herself. And I, I actually, I wish I had not read that article. I think Sun can tell you, a, a, a fear began to creep in and lay hold of my heart. Now, I think as Joshua and Sharon taught us so rightly and helpfully, in those times we must ask why. We must examine. Why is that? examine that experience. For me, it was because my focus, my concentrated attention was on a future I didn't like and not on the future promised to me in Christ. Are you tracking with me? I wasn't seeing the unseen. And that can be for you with your kids or your relationships, or your job, or your finances. So we need this response. Do, do a quick exercise with me, all right? Quick exercise. I want you to, with your arm outstretched in some direction, point right now north. Would you please point north? Most of you are, I think, pretty, pretty accurate. I mean, no one's pointing that direction. That's good. Now, th thank you. You can stop. Imagine I were to blindfold you, spin you around 10, 15, 20 times, keep that blindfold on you, a thick blindfold, and then I said, point north. Could you do it? That would be hard. That would be really hard. Why? because you'd be totally disoriented. You wouldn't quite know where the sun is. You wouldn't know what's up or down. And that is what going through suffering is like, is it not? Disorientation, confusion. I don't know who I am. I don't know who God is. But what if I took off your blindfold and handed you a compass and said, use that compass and point north? Could you do it? You could do so instantly. Why? Because the compass always points north. It's going to instantly orient you and direct your focus in the right way. Verse 18 is seeking to be a compass for your soul. Verse 18 is seeking to provide the correct focus, the correct direction for your concentrated attention such that when you are disoriented, when you feel like you've been blindfolded and spun around, you know which way to look. You look upward to glories to come. 
you see what is unseen, but real and eternal, not transient. You might ask, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, I brought a couple friends. You might read the Puritan classic, The Saints' Everlasting Rest by Richard Baxter. This is my abridged version. Very good. You might read a more contemporary author like Randy Alcorn and his big book on heaven. Or I like his little book, In Light of Eternity, another abridged version. You see the theme. But you also do what's at the end of verse th uh, chapter 3, rather. Chapter 3, verse 18. You also do this. Chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, now and anticipating the glory of him, you'll see. Did you see how both passages Chapter 3.18 and chapter 4.18 both use this optical metaphor. Both talk about seeing glory. So in context, seeing the unseen would seem to include beholding the glory of Jesus now and forever. So see his glory and anticipate the glory to come when you are with him, the Savior who died for you. Johnny Erickson Tata was in a diving accident, as you may know. She was 17. She's been a, quad in a, she's been a quadriplegic ever since. But what she's anticipating about eternity might surprise you. She writes, quote, yes, it will be wonderful to stand, stretch, and reach to the sky. Wonderful. But it will be more wonderful to offer praise that is pure and won't be crippled by distractions, disabled by insincerity, handicapped by a ho-hum half-heartedness. My joy will join with yours, and we will bubble over with effervescent adoration in his presence, right? As you see his glory, as we worship with Father and Son. This, she says, is the best part of heaven. See the unseen, brothers and sisters. We need this lesson now if you are suffering. We need this lesson to prepare for suffering because it is inevitable. So here's my summary exhortation. See surpassing glory to come and so be sustained at heart. Right? That's the reality. Renewal. For this reason, glory to come. And so have this response. You're, you're looking. You're seeing the unseen. See surpassing glory to come and so be sustained at heart. Use this compass and your scale. Use this compass which directs your attention, your focus to see coming unseen glory, eternal glory, looking not to what just is transient, not as secular Sam or secular Tab, but seeing, focusing on what is lasting, what is eternal, and then using your scale and weighing these things out. Affliction, it's real, it hurts, it's hard, but wow, eternal glory to come. They don't compare. You use the compass, you use the scale, and God will sustain you, and you won't lose heart. 
and you won't despair. One day, you'll be with Christ. Let's pray. Take a moment, friends, if you would, to respond to God's word, to respond to him. Not me, him. He says, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Where are you tempted to lose heart? What trial, difficulty, challenge is weighing on you now or you fear might happen? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you live in light of this reality for this reason, having this response, looking, seeing what is unseen, focusing on eternal glories to come in particular, especially seeing your Savior face to face. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know how much I need to apply this passage. You know how much we all, I assume, need to apply this passage. Would you help us? Would you help us to increasingly look not just to what is seen, but to what is unseen, yet real, and surely coming for the Christian. For we, you promise us, shall be raised and shall shine. <laughs> we shall shine like the stars forever and ever. Because our Savior who died and rose and ascended is glorified. And you will glorify us with we thank you for this promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, to help us, to help us look to what is unseen, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So those who are going to serve us, please prepare to do so. We take the bread and the cup to celebrate our crucified, resurrected, reigning, and returning Savior. That's your hope. That's your focus. Because on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took a cup, saying, This is God's covenant, sealed in my blood, my sacrifice. Drink from it in remembrance of me. So we invite all who have trusted in Christ to come in a moment when you're ready to one of the serving stations, receive the elements. And as you take the bread and the cup, be encouraged, be hopeful, 
have your heart strengthened in Christ and glory to come that he has purchased. And if you've yet to trust in Christ, we urge you right now to take Christ. Trust in his life, death, and resurrection. When you're ready, please come. Thank you.